Yes, even if it's just a, uh, a donation or, or finding some supplies, but we do need some people to come and actually be there at VBS. So if you could do that, talk to Leslie. Um, hey, just a couple things right before I get started. Um, first of all, I'm not going to take the time to read the whole thing, but we got a recognition, um, a little certificate in the office and a letter from the president of Open Bible Churches thanking us for being ranked uh, 24th out of 262 churches in missions giving um, for all of Open Bible. So that's a good job. That's a good job for you guys. That's a top 10% in missions giving. And so you guys are just, that's awesome. That's just really cool. That's a, maybe we can do top 5% next year. Does that sound good? Make that, make that a, little bit, a little bit better. You guys are great, though. Hey, um, one other or two other things. First of all, just, uh, just for communication, making you guys aware, um, Pastor Greg's last day as an employee of Spirit of Life Church is Tuesday, so you're going to want to like text him, Facebook him, or do all those types of things. And uh, We just thank you so much, man, for everything that you've done. And The cool thing about him is that he's, him and his wife are going to stay and be part of our church, and so everything that he did, yeah, right. So everything he did for pay, now he's just going to do it voluntarily. So that's a good, good for that. <laughs> so praise God. And they, um, if you missed it, Pastor Greg and Kathleen had a banquet in, uh, on Friday night um, and where we were able to honor them. And you guys gave in to a gift to, to be able to bless them with the full amount. They, they got a quote for all the windows in their house to be replaced. And you guys were able to give them that whole deal. And so I just thank you again for your gift. And they thank you for your gift. And yeah, praise God. And uh, I know um, my wife's going to be doing something with thank yous at some point, but I just want to thank her and Lynn and Tammy and the Wenbergs and, and oh, there's a whole crew of people that I don't even know because I wasn't even a part of it, but put that whole banquet together. And you guys, so just thank you guys for all that stuff that you did. I'll just keep, keep making you clap. How about that? <laughs> Sounds like we're at an award ceremony. <laughs> God. Hey, and just one more just housekeeping thing for you to know is um, uh, Pastor Bo and Linda and their family, it, it's a chance that they may not be starting as soon as we thought their house needs to sell. So could you come into agreement with them that their house sells? And um, they, uh, Pastor Bo's made a commitment that regardless that he's going to have his oldest girls in school um, when it starts. I think that starts like August 13th or something. And so, um, so they'll at least be here by then. But it wouldn't be nice to just get them here faster than that. So your prayers would really help. And if you're friends with them on Facebook or something, Something, um, drop them an encouraging note and let them know that we're excited to have them come. All right, that's it. Now we got to preach. I've been out of practice for a couple weeks, so uh, you're going to have to bear with me here. <laughs> Sit, walk, stand is the series that we're in. We're still in it, and I was looking at it. I think that I may be able to finish this up in two more Sundays. So um, we've been in Ephesians for quite a while, and there's just so much gold in the book of Ephesians. I've just been having a blast just going through it myself, and, uh, and I hope you guys, uh, but if you've been bored with it, good news is we only got a couple more weeks, so, so there you go. <laughs> Sit, walk, stand, studying the book of Ephesians um, based off the book by Watchman Nee with the same title, and uh, the series thought the whole thing that we're trying to get accomplished is this, is that as believers, it's a must to learn that our Christian walk and even our stand against the enemy has to flow from our seated position 
in Christ. Everything flows from a seated position, then it builds, then we learn how to walk, and then we learn how to stand. We first have to learn how to sit. And, uh, um, and I'm, I'm not going to read Most every week I go through and I just kind of share what all the different titles and themes were. And, and uh, I'm going to just, I'm going to skip that this week. But we have um, seven, seven different sermons that are on our website. I encourage you to go look at that. And we made a progression from Ephesians chapter 1 to where we're at today. Um, and, and really looking at that sit. And we've been in, in, in the walking portion of Ephesians for a couple of weeks now, which really starts kind of in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. And that's where we're at. We're at the end of Ephesians chapter 4 and at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, kind of hanging out in both of those. And, uh, and so there we go. Today's message is, is entitled this, Don't React, Respond. Don't React, Respond. Have you ever heard, heard a quote like that or someone ever told you that? Don't react, respond. And, uh, um, you know, I, I've heard that. It's been told to me. Uh, maybe there's been a, a moment in your life when there's been, a, when it's been um, all your emotions are, are boiling up to that point and you want to react. You know what I'm talking about? Um, something happens out of the blue, unexpected, and you want to react. You know, uh, Usually what, what it is is our default mode, uh, the, the place that we operate naturally out of, the, that when life happens, all of a sudden we just react. In fact, about 90% or better of the choices we make in life happen at a sub- subconscious heart level where a lot of what we do in life is just reacting to things, which is an interesting, just an interesting notice. Um, but I think the Lord would be challenging us to not react, respond. To, to take a pause and to respond. And specifically, um, this is my first chance, um, except for the, I, I helped record a, a little video with my wife's help on my cell phone for you guys to watch a couple weeks ago, just in response to a little bit of what the Supreme Court ruling was and all of that with the same-sex marriage and everything. And uh, I just kind of felt like, man, it'd be really good to kind of share some things from the pulpit today. Um, and it just so happens that the book of Ephesians kind of is like right in line. It was like, thank you, God. This is great. Um, so everyone, like, imagine the hallelujah chorus going off in your heart and in your mind. Um, don't react. Respond. Don't react, respond. What if, we, what if that was kind of uh, the way we approached this whole situation? Um, maybe some of you, it um, was barely even a blip on your radar. Maybe some of you, it really caused some turmoil in your hearts when, when all the, the news feeds, you maybe got the email on your phone from CNN or Fox News, or maybe you were watching it on, actually, people actually watch news still on TV um, instead of like their Twitter feeds and stuff, right? Um, you know, hashtag, you know, Supreme Court, whatever. And, and, and so like wherever you got it from, you're, you're sitting there and it was, it, it's, it was a monumental day. It was probably as monumental as we look back in my generation as where some of you were around with like Roe versus Wade and things like that. It was a, a big deal. Big deal. Don't react, respond. Don't react, respond. How do we respond? What, what, What's appropriate and what's not? And, and what, the, the, that book you know, years and years ago, what would Jesus do? Right? Maybe we should come up with, you know, great idea. We should have some bracelets and stuff that say like WWJD. I just thought of that right now. That would, wouldn't that be a great idea? To... <laughs> all right, all right. Hey, today, um, the main text that we're going to zero in on is this. It says this. It says uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, This I say, therefore... 
and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, having given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Pretty powerful and pointed couple, two, three verses right there. I was just thinking, um, you know, when I got the news, I was on vacation, so I was a little bit out of, you know, my, you know, being spiritual, and I was, you know, just whatever, and get the news feed, and um, just being honest, it, don't tell anybody this, it, it wasn't a huge blip on my radar, it, it wasn't like this big monumental thing for me, now maybe it was for you, and I'm not, and that, that's fine. That's not, that's not either here nor there. But the thing for me that I realized was this wasn't a shock. Like, this is, things have been progressing towards this for a long time. I also realized that in this, it's like 13 states that, um, that haven't been agreeing with what the Supreme Court and everybody else has. Over. And I'm just like, man, it's been progressing this way. But I realize also that it, there's a pendulum swing where, one, we can close our eyes and pretend nothing's happened, or we can, like, get out with, you know, with our bullhorns on the side of the, you know, road and, you know, repent, you know, and all this, right? And there, there's this pendulum swing that happens. And so I started um, looking at my own heart and where I was at with all this, and I started realizing some things that I, oh, I shouldn't react. I should respond. And it took me just a little bit, and you guys got that, uh, that video a that, um, couple weeks ago. But this comes out of a heart that's responding. How should we respond? How sh- and how should we respond when anything is a blip on our radar when it comes to sin and when it comes to cultural issues? What happens when, when, it, when it happens in our church? And the main thought today is this, and I'm going to unpack it for you um, in the verse here. But the main thought is this. We have a calling, even a mandate, to allow the fruit of our light to raise the dead and introduce the life of God. We have a calling and even a mandate to allow the fruit of our light to raise the dead and introduce the life of God. The first point today is this. Walk differently. In fact, the the three points that we have is one, walk differently, two, love sacrificially, and three, shine brightly. So we're going to start with walk differently. Walk differently. Do you want to respond to a culture that's lost and dying? Do you want to respond to that culture? It first starts with us, with you, choosing to walk differently. We've got to decide, even right here, before it gets too crazy, before it gets too hot, before the rubber meets the road, you you decide in this moment right now that we're going to walk differently. It's too late when when you're already in the moment, right? I remember like growing up and, and, uh, you know, the the older people, especially like my parents and teachers, they, they would all, my grandma, my grandma always gave the most embarrassing sex talks. That's probably why I talk about sex in the pulpit way too much, Dennis. I don't know. It's, it's, I blame it on my grandma. 
But I just remember her saying to me, you know, it's too late to decide what you're going to do when you're in the back seat of the car. Right? And I'll just leave it at that, right? But you have to decide before you ever get there. I, I somehow weave that into this message. I don't know. And the thing is, is we have to choose right now in this moment to walk differently. And it starts with us. As I was looking at this point and this topic, different things started flooding my mind. And, you know, the first thing that came to mind was this, was that the Bible tells us to take the plank out of our own eye before we take the speck out of somebody else's. It's really interesting. Um, found this, this story. There's a young couple that moves into the, to a new neighborhood. The next morning while they are eating at breakfast, the young woman sees her neighbor um, hanging the wash outside to dry. The laundry's not even very clean, she said. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Her husband looked on but remained silent. Every time her neighbor would hang her wash to dry, the young woman would make the same comments. About one month later, the woman was surprised to see nice, clean wash on the line and said to her husband, look, she's learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her this. The husband said, well, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. There may be some of us that in order to really see clearly what's going on, we need to wash our windows. <laughs> our response to the culture needs to start with self-examination. Ephesians chapter 4, 17 and 18, our anchor verse, I want to read it again here. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. I always like the word therefore because it's a cue to me to look beforehand. If any of you have ever studied in school, whenever there's a therefore. And I remember even where we left off when uh, the last time I was preaching here, uh, I was preaching on the fivefold ministry, but it was really looking at right after the fivefold ministry in Ephesians chapter four, you start to see um, topics like the like unity in the, in the body of Christ. And you start to see things like that, um, like the maturity in the body, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, all those things. Things were the, the topic right there, at, right in Ephesians chapter 4, as we were looking at all of it. It was all about unity. It was all about us building up in the faith and all this. And so there's a risk of destroying, or at the very least, disrupting all of that that Paul had just talked about if we walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And that word Gentile, um, really in our culture, we look at that. First of all, all of us are Gentiles, by the way, unless you are a Jew. You're a Gentile. Can we just agree? All right. Um, but as we look at this, it's really, it's really, Gentiles were really um, uh, thought of as um, like the unbelieving generation, the, those that weren't in Christ. And so when we, when we use that word Gentile, that's really what we're meaning. If you're not in Christ, um, that's really what we're, what we're talking about. And so it, so it was saying here is that, is that um, there's a risk of destroying or disrupting everything that God's trying to do in this church, in the body of Christ. And Paul was specifically talking to the church in, in Ephesus and all the churches 
churches in Asia Minor, and this was a, this was a letter addressed to the church that says, hey, if you, if you want to protect what you have going on here, then don't walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. It's an interesting phrase. He says you should no longer walk that way. And evidently, it's possible to still walk that way. Which it's just an interesting thought to me. That it, wouldn't it have been great if like the moment you got saved, the moment you gave your heart to, to Christ, there was no desire at all to ever sin. There was like, like it was a supernatural thing where impossible to sin now. I've got this like force field around me. And you know what I'm saying? Like, like wouldn't it be great if it was that way? And he, but Paul's admonishing them to no longer walk. In other words, they had the ability to still walk that way if they chose to. He talks about the futility of their mind. In other words, the, uh, a mind that's useless and empty. He talks in verse 18, the word alienated or separated from the life of God. That just, that caught me as I was reading and meditating on this scripture. That, that he's, he's admonishing the church in Ephesus and all of us, really, that, that hey, don't walk like that. Those people that, that are walking that way, walking in a life of sin, they've, they're alienated from the life of God. Imagine Maybe you have a friend or a family member. Maybe, maybe you remember when you were separated from the life. Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. You remember when you were separated from the life of God? Man, I don't know, maybe we take it for granted sometimes, but that, to me, it was a huge issue. All of a sudden, I started realizing it's a life issue. When we, when we put it all aside and we, and we you know, do our debating and do our Facebook blasts and all that stuff, guess what? It's a life issue. This whole deal is God desiring for a generation of people to come back to the life of God. And, and Paul's saying, hey, if you want to protect what you have going on here, remember, like, guard the life of God that's in you. And if you live that way, then you're not protecting the life of God. Alienated or separated from the life of God because of ignorance... Or the lack of knowledge, the lack of, I like this definition of ignorance, the lack of awareness. It's, it's almost, there's some people, you know, there's some people that know exactly what they're doing, right? And there's some people that are just so caught in deception and in a life of sin that they're so far down. It's like almost as if they've been desensitized. That they're, it's like not even aware of what's going on. And, and so Paul's saying here, it's because of ignorance. It, there's a lack of awareness and understanding that's led to this, blindness. It, Ephesians 4.18, it, it says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Most Bible translations actually say this. It says, the hardness of their heart. The blindness of their heart or the hardness. I like, the, I like it when it says hardness of heart. It's still blindness, but it, to me it's more than just like blind. It's the, there was, there's, an actual, there's a hardness of heart that even leads to blindness. Uh, it, it's interesting. Watch this question. Uh, how does someone, someone's heart get hard? How does someone experience hardness of heart? Where, where, where would that even come from? You, you want, I, I'll just give it to you. Pain. Pain. Hurt. Unmet expectations. 
It doesn't excuse actions, but it gives a reason. That there's a whole generation with a, that are blindness of heart, are hardened, hardened in their heart, and the reason is because of pain. It's because of hurt. It's because of unmet expectations. And it doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't excuse actions. But it causes me to at least appreciate what they're going through. It causes me to want to understand their story. Shouldn't it, at the very least, as a body of Christ, as a church, spirit of life church, shouldn't it, at the very least, cause us compassion? For those that are caught in a life of sin and bitter towards God. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's who you once were. Paul says we all were once that way. I'm just, I'm just thinking a calling on my life at least, but I'm hoping for this church is that there would be compassion, that we would look at hardness of heart and realize that there's a reason why it's that way, that there's a story beyond every person, every individual. Matthew 24 Verse 12 and 13 is just a sad couple verses. It says this. It says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. In fact, it, 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 some places it talks about um, the wickedness of that time. It says, Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And it, it's a sad verse. Jesus is talking to his best friends in Matthew 24. And they were asking him, Jesus, so tell us about like the end of the age. What's, the, what's like the, the end of the world going to look like? Tell us about Armageddon. You know, right? Tell us about all this stuff. And, uh, and, you know, and we look at the book of Revelation and we look at the book of Daniel and we look at like First and Second Thessalonians and we look at different books like that that give some indication of the end of the age. But it's kind of nice to be able to get Jesus' take on it. Imagine sitting around with God the Son just right there, maybe on a rock or under a tree, and asking him, so what's your take on the end of the world and the end of the age? And, and he, he gives us this beautiful discourse in Matthew 24. I encourage you to read it. And then Matthew 25 is a few parables. They're actually end-time parables. And so you, you look at Matthew 24 and 25, and you get some interesting things that are going on there. But right in the midst of that, he says this. And he's talking about believers. He's talking about you and I. He says, because, and because lawlessness will abound, you're looking at the culture around us. He says, the love of many will grow cold. Wow. And then I come back to Ephesians, and I realize the hardening of hearts, the blindness of hearts, and man, it just causes my heart to break. It causes me to have compassion on the lost. Ephesians 4.19 says, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Uh, I like the way it says it in the, in the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. It says this, And they having become callous, remember the hardness of heart, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. The result is sexual sin. And every kind of impurity with greediness. In other words, they lust for more. And I like one place where it says they create new ways. They, it's, like, it's like they're sitting around coming up with new ways to be impure. New ways to like do sin. 
craziness. Man, isn't this like Holy Ghost feeling right now in the room? Do you like that? Man, it breaks my heart. Verse 20 and 20 through 24, Paul's basically saying, but you, talking to the church in, in, in Ephesus, and, and he's really, I can imagine him talking to Spirit of Life Church. He's saying, but you, you've put off the old man and put on the new man. So don't live like them because for you, you used to live like that. You used to be that way. But no, you've put off the old man and now you've put on the new man. In other words, you've put off the old self the way you used to live and you've put on the new self. And then in verse 25 to 32, he describes what's not the new man and what is the new man and, and all this. And, and this is what I found, that what's not the new man or, or what's the old man, this is, what I, this is what I found, lying. That that would be a fruit of, of what we used to live like, right? Anger to the point of sin, stealing, corrupt, evil talk. Any of you ever been around corrupt, evil talk? Gossip, that would be corrupt, evil talk. Slander, dissension. He, uh, as I, when I was reading those verses, more wrath was part of the fruit of the old man. Clamor, I had to look up clamor. I, I know, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Clamor was, was like the, the shouting anger, you know? It was, a, it, it was like, you know, it was almost like a group mob shouting anger, you know? Uh, it, malice or, or the intention, uh, the, the definition of malice, the intention or the desire to do evil. It's like this was, this was what the old man looked like. There's a word that um, when, whenever the topic of homosexuality comes up, and uh, and all this, you, you, maybe maybe you've used it, or maybe you've heard people, and maybe you've read it. But the, that word um, abomination—have you ever heard that word before? Abomination, and it gets it gets thrown around, and all this. And um, so I did a word study on it because I was just like, man, I just got to understand. Like, what's it, what's everybody talking about? What's this whole deal? You know what an abomination is? It's this something that causes disgust, a detestable thing. And really, when you look at the root of abomination, it really had to do with, with um, causing disgust or a detestable thing towards a God, and specifically um, in the kingdom of God, be towards uh, the, the living God, towards the one and only God. And, and so as I was doing a word search over abomination, I was just kind of you know, looking at all this thing. I started finding all the different places in Scripture that talked about what would be considered an abomination and yes, I did find homosexuality there. That was in there. But guess what? Idols were in there as an abomination. Witchcraft was an abomination. And then all of a sudden it started like, coming home. Guess what? Guess what else is an abomination? Pride. Pride is an abomination. That's what it said here in, in the scripture. Lying. Lying was an abomination. That's craziness. Shedding of innocent blood. Now, I could take that. That's, that's fine. If you, whenever you've uh, shed innocent blood, that would be an abomination, in case you didn't know. A heart that devises wicked plans. That's an abomination. Feet that are swift in running to evil is an abomination. A false witness. That's our, a false witness is an abomin- abomination to God. In other words, it, it causes disgust. It's a detestable thing. 
Uh, this one, the thoughts of the wicked. I started realizing it, even the thoughts of the wicked were an abomination. They, they didn't even say it yet. They didn't even do it yet. They were just thinking it. It was an abomination. Those who justify the wicked, the Bible calls it an abomination. Isn't that encouraging uh, to know that list, just in case, you, in case you wanted it? And so then he goes on, Paul goes on, and he starts talking about, um, well, what's the new man look like? And you, you've put off the old man, and we just talked about what the old man looked like, but the, the new man was this. The new man was kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. Kind, tender, I, now that sounds, oh, oh, we could just take a breath of fresh air, right? I just felt it, felt it fill the room. In our series, our whole sermon series, Sit, Walk, Stand, watch this. Our walk flows out of our seated position in Christ. You can choose to live rightly. You know, you can just choose. There's people in this world that choose to live rightly. But there's an easier way. And the easier way is this. An encounter with Christ, fall in love with God, and walk out of a place of encounter. It, it's this place where, where it's not, uh, yeah, there, we have to make some conscious choice to, to live rightly, but, but there's this place where I, I live rightly because I'm in love with God. It's like it just comes out of relationship. Or it comes out of intimacy. It's not this, this, this list of do's and don'ts and this legalistic thing. It's like I live right because of love. I live right because of love. There's an encounter in the Bible Jacob, uh, you ever heard of Jacob? And he was, uh, in Genesis 32, he, um, the Bible says he actually wrestled with God. And, and, you know, theologians actually look at it. it was, he was wrestling with, in Genesis 32, probably what's called a theophany, where he was wrestling with God the Son. He was wrestling with Jesus. And, um, which would just be an interesting thing. Any of you wrestlers in this place? Uh, you, you did any wrestling growing up? Nobody. And, uh, and so Jacob was wrestling with God, and the Bible says he wrestled until the break of day. And, and, there, and in other words, this was a long wrestling match. This happened, this happened for, for quite a while. And the Bible says that the man Jacob wrestled couldn't prevail against him. And so this was an interesting, Jacob must have been pretty strong, I don't know. And this was, so they were wrestling, and the man wasn't prevailing. So what the man did, um, and, and most people, uh, theologians would say this was Jesus, he actually touched Jacob's hip and dislocated it, and they still wrestled for a long time after that. And finally, the guy, he, he asked Jacob, Jesus asked Jacob to let him go. And Jacob says this, not until you bless me. And so he blessed him, and he changed his name. And Jacob, um, his, his name actually meant deceiver, or it had to do with lying. And how many remember that that's an abomination, Right? And he was, his name was actually changed to Israel, which is where we get the nation of Israel today. And, and Jacob, you know, and you know, becoming Israel, Israel really had more to do with the striving after God and his heart that was turned towards God, which is an interesting thing. But, um, but we, we find that out. And Genesis 32, verse 30, and 30, 30 through 32, watch this with me. It says this. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, because, uh, or which is on, on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. 
just an interesting thing when I look at this. I start to, to see that, that God touched Jacob in such a way that he walked differently for the rest of his life. In fact, for generations to come, they, they would remember the day that Jacob wrestled with God. And as I look at us, I look at my life, I look at your life, at this church, my admonition to you is that you would have such an encounter with God that you would wrestle God so much in your life that as you walk away from encounters like that, you would just walk differently. That it, would, it wouldn't be this intentional thing that you have to do, but it would be almost second habit that you would just, just, just limp. You just limp because of the encounter you had that you just naturally walk differently because of your love for him, because of an encounter with Christ. The, the number two this morning, as I was looking at, don't react, respond. I mean, the first we want to, we, we want to just self-examination. We want to walk differently. And two, love sacrificially. Love sacrificially. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 2, it says this. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us um, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Paul calls us to be imitators of God as dear children. Um, I, I, I have to talk about my daughter, right? almost like every other sermon, but uh, talk about Kaylee. But she, um, she has this new thing. It's been, it's been a few weeks, maybe a couple months, but she does this where, where we're going to leave or to leave the house or we're, we're going someplace or we're walking. And she says this. She says, I want to be the leader. Or she'll, she'll even, and, and more than just ask, she says, I'm the leader. I get to be the leader. I mean, so she gets out in front of us, and she, and she walks around, and, we're, and we're, you know, she leads us to the car or whatever. And she's got this new thing, too, this little twist on that. She's like, um, I'm the backwards leader. And so she, like, turns around, and she walks backwards leading us. I'm like, all right, I guess you're the backwards, backwards leader, Kaylee. Uh, but it's, it's this whole thing where she's watched our life, and she's learned, I guess, somehow at four years old what it means to be a leader from watching dad and watching mom and so now she gets to be the leader because she has has mimicked us she has watched us she has become an imitator of us and, and it, as dear children it says imitate God just as children and we could go we could have story after story of maybe some of you and your children and how they've they imitate you and you can think of stories of like like maybe like when I've said something that I shouldn't have and Kaylee says it and I'm like oh my goodness I got to be careful with that. Or she, the commercial comes on TV and she says, blah, 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 blah. How do, where did you learn that? Well, because she's imitating. Walk in love as Christ. In other words, imitate the love of Christ. You can walk in love without imitating the world. Did you know that? There's this thing, and I, well, let me just, let me share this first. Uh, in 2009, there was a survey and it was taken in a suburban area of Houston and the survey was to find out what had motivated people to choose the particular church where um, they were members. So some surprising answers were given. Um, 12% chose their church because of prior denominational affiliation. 8% on the basis of the architectural beauty. All right, I'm looking at some, some architectural fans over there. Uh, 3% because of the person in the pulpit. Now that's a, that's a way low number, by the way. <laughs> 
just a way low, low, low number. 18% because of the convenience of location. Probably not our church, I'm just saying. 21% um, because of the people in the congregation whom they respected. But watch this. A whopping 37% were influenced by the fact that friends and neighbors took an interest in them and invited them. It's just interesting to me. And that was a 2009 study in Houston. I, I would imagine it's similar here that um, you want this church to grow. There's something about asking somebody to come. There's something about a neighbor or a friend that you actually are motivated out of love and just say, hey, I'd like you to come with me. You know, um, love really does win. Love wins. And I'm not, I'm not shy in saying that love wins. And, and I, I, figure, I figure God said it first, and, and we're not going to let it get perverted. We're just going to say love wins. Love really does win. But love wins not by ignoring sin, but by loving in spite of sin. There's this whole thing with love wins that's this like every road leads to heaven and how could a good God, good loving God, let people go to hell? And I, I've told you guys before, I have a friend that wrote a book about hell not existing and stuff. And I'm like, oh my goodness, how can you read the Bible and, and not know that there's a hell? And, um, but love wins. Love really does win. God's love wins. And God's love through us wins and the way we're going to reach this culture the way you're going to reach your friend or your family member isn't isn't by um, beating them over the head with a baseball bat or the bible whichever one it comes handy um, it, it's going to come because you love them because they know that you love them love wins could you well, you know it, it says this the bible says while we were still sinners christ died for us did you remember that part while we were still a sinner I, I love, you know, like um, good, good old Billy Graham, you know, how he had that, that song, Keith, that he would always play at his altar calls, Just As I Am, right? Um, and, and it was true. Billy Graham believed it. I believe it, you know, that, that we're supposed to come just as we are. And Jesus, the, the perfect verse here was, while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I was just thinking about that. Could I do that? Could you do that? Could you lay your life down for someone who hasn't given their life to God yet? And what if they never did? What if you love someone unconditionally even if they never changed? What if you love somebody even if they never gave their heart to Christ? What would that look like? And I know, I mean, that's an interesting thing to say from the pulpit. Like, what if it was more than just, like, a box score and, you know, so many people, we, we got into our Christian club that day. But what if, like, you truly, unconditionally loved somebody, loved your friend, loved your family member, loved your workplace? This is what I think. This is what I think would happen. I think that love would win. I think that when the motivation of our heart is love, that the fruit is going to be people coming into the kingdom of God. This is what I, I heard one day. Uh, you know, maybe I made it up. Uh, Tammy, you don't think I could make this up, Tammy? Come on. I, I think I made This is like maybe just quote Jonathan. Uh, the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. I, I think I, I made that one up. No, that was straight. That was Bible. That was Bible. That's in the Bible. The kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. 
You know, people can tell when you have an agenda. Did you, you know what I'm talking about? They can tell when, like, you've befriended them. You know, it, it, it's like, you know, the, I, I like the, the, um, that I gotta be careful, but I, I like the whole um, business model of like network marketing and all that type of stuff. I think it's I think it's a brilliant model. You know, um, it never really worked for me um, per se, but uh, but it's a brilliant model. But I, I bring that up because there's some of that the connotation that happens of Hey, I haven't talked to you in like 14 years. Let's like uh, um, you know let's like go out to lunch sometime. You know, they're like Oh yeah, like that's, that'd be great. You know, and then in the back of your head you're like So which company are you with, right? You know, it's, it's like there's this, you know, you can like smell the agenda from, from a mile away almost. And I think that there's people even in Christianity, you know, like where we, where we maybe even without knowing it, I don't know, maybe, we, but there's this like a agenda in us. And it's, it's more than just like, um, you know, the love of Christ. It's like, it's like, uh, I got I just got to, I don't know, I got to add them to my Christian club. And I wonder if we loved them, just truly loved that person. And I'm not saying don't share the gospel because, oh my gosh, like how many know that like, that's the, uh, I mean, that's the love of Christ right there is the gospel. But this motivation, this where I just can be pure in heart to say that my motivation is love. My motivation is love. It's not just a, a box score. Is that all right? What if the motive was love behind everything we do? One, one way I try, just practically, one way I try to love sacrificially is to truly understand where people are coming from. Um, I ask a lot of questions, and it's not just to, like, drive a point, um, but it's, to, it's like, really to, out of curiosity to appreciate their story. And I've done this with, with people that, um, you know, maybe they've... Uh, uh, maybe they're homosexual or maybe they're, uh, you know, maybe they've just been disenfranchised from the church or maybe they're, you know, whatever. And, and it's interesting because as I just sit down in, um, in a place of, of really just wanting to understand them, their story, like you guys, Keith, with your, um, you know, sitting down with that lady and hearing her story. It's like the story is so important. And to really just just understand, like, so, you know, I mean, they know I don't agree with them, right? I mean, I'm an I'm a evangelical pastor. I mean, they don't, they don't need that. Uh, but to be able to just say, man, so, so why? Or like, like, what happened? Or has it always been this way? Or you know what I'm saying? And, and, and you get them talking about the story. Or agree, disagree. That doesn't even, that's, that's not even the point, right? It's just the, the love that, you know, people like to talk about themselves. At least I do. I found that good questions, just out of curiosity about their journey, can open up so much. And then, like, uh, like my pastor likes to say, then at some point in there, you can close the deal, <laughs> right? At some point, with a, with a right motive and, and good intentions and without the, the agenda. But sometimes there's an open door just with talking about their story, asking them good questions. You try that at work. You try that with a, without a family reunion. I, t- I guarantee you, I mean, especially if you're working with, with somebody, like you know that like, this isn't like the last moment I'm going to have with them. And so it's not like, okay, uh, you know, this, I might not ever see you again, so I'm just going like, to give you every sermon I've ever heard from Pastor Jonathan. Like, like, 
But since you're working with them, or, or maybe it's a family member, like you could have just this whole idea that, man, over the next year, or over the next like couple years, out of relationship, out of curiosity, out of love, out of relationship, that, that um, they're going to know that even if they never changed, I still love them, but they're going to have an opportunity to change. Isn't that cool? I, I think that would be, that'd just be sweet. Sometimes you don't always have two years with somebody, right, Keith? <laughs> but sometimes you do. Wow. Well, there you go. Number three. You guys ready for the last one? Someone say amen. The last one, shine brightly. Shine brightly. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 9 says this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Um, uh, Most places, um, most translations say this. The fruit of the light. Fruit of the light. It says fruit of the Spirit here, but most translations call it the fruit of the light. He just got done saying, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It's interesting. He's calling you light. That now that you've crossed over from from death to life, now that you have become a believer, now that you've put off the old self and come into agreement with the new self, he says, you are light. You are. You are. I am. We are. We're light. We're light. Matthew chapter 5 Starting in verse 14 says this, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and, get, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And I love verse 16. Watch this. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Powerful. There's a story. Um, a, a young girl once consulted with her minister. She said this, I cannot stick it out any longer. I'm the only Christian in the factory where I work. I get nothing but taunts and sneers. It's more than I can stand. I'm going to resign. Will you tell me, asked the minister, where are lights placed? What does that have to do with it? The young Christian asked him rather bluntly. Never mind, the minister replied. Answer my question. Where are lights placed? I suppose in dark places, she replied. Yes, and that is why you have been put in that factory where there is such spiritual darkness and where there is no other Christian to shine for the Lord. The young Christian realized for the first time the opportunity that was hers. She felt she could not fail God by allowing her light to go out. She went back to the factory with renewed determination to let her light shine in that dark corner. Before long, she was the means of leading nine other girls to the light. It's interesting. When we just start to to refocus and realize, wait a minute. He calls me light. I am light. Um, Ephesians 5, verse 10, it says, Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. This no fellowship um, phrase, in other words, it, it, it really means have nothing to do with. 
the unfruitful deeds of darkness. It's not talking about people. It's talking about the, the, the ways, the, the, the deeds of darkness, the things participating in the, the works that they're doing. Um, but watch this. You can't expose darkness without being around darkness. Did you know that? You can't expose darkness without being around darkness. And you're like, well, how do I expose darkness? I'll tell you how to not. You don't expose darkness by blasting people on Facebook. They just... Can we just say, bad idea. But if, if you just like walk in goodness, in righteousness, and truth, you just let your light shine, you just be. A light doesn't like try to shine, it just does. This verse isn't calling for yelling matches and verbal altercations. It's not telling you to hide behind your computer and your smartphones and blast people on social media. Ephesians chapter 5 goes on and it says, But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, watch this, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Our light awakens have you ever like you know been asleep in your bedroom and someone just turns on the light? It's like you you wake up, or at least at least I do. Paul brings it back around to life. People are separated, alienated, cut off from the life of God, as we once were. You remember at the beginning of this talk. And so watch this. We have a calling, even a mandate, to allow the fruit of our light to raise the dead and introduce the life of God. We're calling a culture, one person at a time, one person at a time, to raise from the dead and come to life in God. And that's really what it is. Any of you know somebody that needs to come back to life? You come to the life of God. Any of you know somebody that, that you, by you just rubbing up against them, that your light is going to just naturally expose darkness? I love this whole deal because it's all about love. It's all about love. It's not about us getting up on a bandwagon or a soapbox. It's about let's show them, let's show this world, let's show this, this culture that we know how to love better than anybody else knows how to love. May Spirit of Life Church be a church that's known for our love. How about that? Amen. Pastor Kelly, would you come? And let's just stand together this morning. Thanks for taking the time to listen this morning. You guys are, you guys are great. <laughs> God is so good. So good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just as we get ready to close here, we just let the Lord examine your heart. Don't react, respond. What's that mean for you this week? Just in your life? Maybe number one, God's examining or asking you to examine your own hearts to look at your own walk, like when David says, search me and know me, see if there's any wicked way in me. Would you just allow the Lord to examine you? Maybe there's an intentional way this week with somebody that you just need to like love sacrificially.
Maybe the Lord's bringing people to your mind and to your heart and workplace and family members. And What would it look like to just love somebody this week? To let your light shine? And then that last point, to shine brightly. This isn't a time for us to shrink back. It's a time for us to stand tall and stand firm. And to shine brighter than anybody else. Not with a megaphone on the side of the road, but with with love. Maybe our light can be louder than even what the Supreme Court announced a few weeks ago. He's so good. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're just going to go into a time of worship here and whenever you feel like you're done with... uh, doing business with the Lord, you're welcome to leave and, and go take on your day and, and we're just going to worship and if uh, there's something that you're going through and you need someone to pray with you, just come up to the front here and we'll pray with you and maybe there's something in this message that you want to respond to, maybe there's something going on in your life and, and we'll do that with you. God bless you guys, let's worship the Lord for a few minutes and when you're done then you can, you can leave.